Blog Talk Radio. Championship week just ended. The NCAA tournament is upon us. It's a time we all been waiting for all year long, all season long. It is Wednesday evening, time for Cats Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Appreciate everybody tuning in and listening. Hope you all Wednesday is going good. Our Wednesday is going good. We hope to have another fun show, jam-packed with all kinds of stuff to talk about. Vinny Hardy here talking with you right now. Terry Brown, lucky man, is, of course, a Louisville native. Mm-hmm. And he is up there in Jefferson County in the vicinity of the Young Center because Kentucky had a shoot-around that was open to the public, and he was there to check it out. So we got to get some good insights from TV. How's everything going up there, Terry? It is going fantastic. You're right, Vinny. I just finished up uh, watching the shoot-around at the Yum Center. I took my girls. Uh, we are leaving now, and uh, it was it was fantastic. Uh, they just basically it was just a shoot-around, but they gave the crowd some some thrills. Uh, I think the the one thing you have to take away from it is there was about thirteen thousand people there for the shoot-around. Not even a full-fledged practice. I mean, a shoot-around. And the lower level of Yum was pretty much covered uh, with blue. Uh, UC shot around before the Cats did. The the Bearcats are there. And my youngest, who's six, asked, well, didn't they tell the Cincinnati fans that they could come to the shoot-around? Because there just weren't (laughs) any fans there. They were all Kentucky fans, and from the time the Cats took the floor until they walked off, there were just there were cheers. The Go Big Blue chants, blue and white chants, uh, and as they walked off the court, uh, Coach Cal and the players, uh, they really uh, they acknowledged the fans because it, it was a good showing uh, by the Big Blue Nation for a shoot-around. So, uh like everybody else here in town, I'm excited about tomorrow night and, and then thereafter, but uh, this is just another example of just how special the Big Blue Nation is. Unbelievable. Right? You, I mean, you're going to make me go Allen Iverson. You know, not a practice, not a practice. We're talking about a shoot-around. A shoot-around. We're talking about a shoot-around. <laughs> 13000 Lower bowl full, unbelievable. And I, I mean, and 
I would have been there if I was in Louisville too. I definitely just a great opportunity for fans close by to swing by and get another look uh, at the cats just shooting around. I mean, like you said, it's still special and um, if Cincinnati guys hung around or anybody not affiliated with Kentucky, which I mean, they already know how the fan base is, but that just would have driven it home even more, you know, <laughs> like, man, these guys got, you know, 13 grand for their shoot around. We got, we're just in here in the empty gym. You hear the ball echoing every time we bounce it, you know, as far as Cincinnati is concerned or anybody that's uh, shooting after Kentucky or Purdue comes after UK, I mean, whatever the case may be. Uh, so that was definitely cool. One of the funny things as we were walking in, uh, Hampton had finished their shoot around. So there were some Hampton fans uh, walking around uh, and just watching the big blue mist descend upon the Yum Center. And I think it's one of those things you kind of know about the fans. You kind of think you might have a handle on it. But then when you see them kind of descend on uh, mass onto a location, it's still got to be, wow. This, this is, I mean, 13,000, uh, you know, 12, 13,000, whatever it was. A lot, of fa- a lot of colleges don't get that a game. I mean, that's more than Cameron holds at Duke. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> like you said, it's, they've heard about it. And, and this would have been, you know, it would have been close to this. Even if Hampton wasn't playing Kentucky and Louisville, they would have gotten a good dose of the big blue miss no matter where this opening round game would have been. But for them to come as close to Lexington as they, some of them may have ever been in their lifetime – this shoot-around was a heck of a precursor for what they're going to see tomorrow night. Yeah, it, it's, it, I would expect it to be a, a home game. I mean, I think that's kind of self-evident, but even more so uh, because everybody wants to kind of – you're witnessing history every time out. You're, it's another piece of history. I think that's driving the demand for Kentucky tickets, so – I would expect it to be even more than it was uh, in 2012 when the Cats came through. Absolutely. Um, just to throw the number out, because I failed to do so at the beginning, 845-277-9373. For those listening, if you want to give us a call, uh, Vinny Hardy here outside of Knoxville, Terry Brown in Louisville outside of the Yum Center, uh, just took in the shoot-around that the Cats went through leading up to that game tomorrow against the Hampton Pirates. And since the Hampton fans just kind of got a a dose of what Big Blue Nation is all about, uh, a little foregleam, uh, a little perspective on it, you know tomorrow when the game comes on on CBS, they're going to have, you know, information about Hampton for everybody who's not familiar with them. You know, a lot of universities that are in the tournament, are getting Googled, you know, where's Wofford? Who is Wofford? Where is Hampton? Where is this? So, I mean, um, they are, of course, in Hampton, Virginia. As of 2013, their enrollment was 4,622 students. Their nickname is the Pirates. 
Um, they are in the MEAC Conference, the Mid-Eastern Atlantic Conference. That is, and I've got some more letters, an HBCU school, historically black college and university. They were the champs of the MEAC tournament. They are 17-17 and 17 after their win over Manhattan and Steve Mastiello last night. They went 8-8 eight eight in the MEAC. Six and one in neutral site games, but this will be a little bit different of a neutral site game tomorrow for them. And their head coach, Edward Joyner, has kind of made the rounds making the news with his post-game press conference. Uh, dude had everybody cracking up. I know you have heard and definitely saw what he was talking about uh, when yeah. talking about facing Kentucky. Yeah, uh I mean, they they understand that, and and you know, for some of those programs, just making to the tournament is enough. You know, you see that every year during championship week. There's always some of these smaller conferences that get their automatic bids, and those guys are just thrilled to to make it. Uh, you know, whereas you know we're a little bit more spoiled. Our our sights are a little bit different than simply just making the tournament. Uh, but it should be a fun game. Uh, but the one thing I did pick up kind of during the shoot-around, the guys, the players are loose. They're smiling. They're they're having fun uh, the same way they've done all season. So it doesn't seem, and, you know, this is just from my perspective, it doesn't seem that the, the pressure has, has ratcheted up enough on these guys yet. Yeah, and that was uh, definitely another cool thing to be in there. Uh, able to kind of get the vibe, the mindset, you know, uh, the state of the team. Uh, and, you know, a lot of them, it's going to be their first time uh, playing in the NCAA tournament. Um, I think it was, was Bobby Hurley I heard on ESPN radio uh, with Scott Van Pelt the other day, you know, talking about how it's one of those things you, you don't know what it's like till you've been through it. The light's a little bit brighter. It's a little bit different. And that's going to be the case, you know, for Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns and, you know, Trey Lyles and Tyler Ewis and all the freshmen. But, you know, Willie Collistein's been there. He played significant minutes in the tournament before he got hurt last year. Uh, Alex Porteous has been there. Uh, You know, and Harrison Twins, of course, last year. And, you know, Aaron doing what he did and the points that he showed in his first run through the tournament. Uh, So they've got guys that show them the ropes. Uh, kind of steady with nerves that may be there, even though they've been a loose bunch all year. Uh, they they got some guys that's been through it already to kind of help that transition uh, uh, take place a lot easier. It'll be easier too with a you know a 16 seed and then being a one, and then of course moving on. And then you'll have different competition, but you will have those NCAA jitters out of the way. You know when you tee it up for the first time tomorrow. Yeah, and and I think that's one thing we have kind of, uh, as Kentucky fans, we've not really bought into the experience factor. Uh, But this team is experienced. Uh, Like you said, with Harrison Twins, with uh, Willie Cauley-Stein, Marcus Lee, Dakari Johnson, and even, you know, Derek Willis and, and the three seniors that have been through this before. So they can let these guys know this is this is how things go. It's it's totally different than the way it has been in the past. Yeah, and that would definitely definitely mean a lot, you know, 
uh, as you, the rounds get tougher and the competition steps up and increases. So um, Kentucky and Hampton tomorrow at 940, and everybody can, you know, take a nap after work or just go in to work Friday a little bit tired, whatever, whatever the case is. Uh, but definitely anxious to uh, get the ball rolling on the tournament. You know, be a lot of good games going on starting at noon to whet our appetite, and then you know Kentucky will take the floor to close out the night on Thursday. Yeah, and uh, the one thing I also noticed is, uh, I mean, th- there's a lot more media set up. I think at Yum than you'd see at general other first-round sites. I mean, the the circus has come to town uh, when the Wildcats show up. So it's going to be interesting how, as that builds, heading toward Indianapolis, you know, how how the Cats, how they deal with it. Because it, I, I can imagine that, you know, 38-0 uh, heading to uh, Indy will be a totally different experience. And They've had, I mean, they've had a lot already. I mean, like you said, it's going to be crazy as it continues to progress. But just, you know, at the end of regular season games and the tournament games there in Nashville, there was a, I mean, you know, media waiting outside the pictures that you saw for access to the locker room. It was a lot. I mean, and then, you know, what they've already been through, you know, with the the Lexington media throughout the year. Uh, it was a lot this past weekend, and like you said, it's going to only magnify, but they won't be, I don't think, completely overwhelmed because they've they've seen a lot of microphones in their face already, you know, like you said, just being at UK in the first place and now being on the undefeated team, uh, it's kind of built as the year's going on. So I think they'll they'll kind of take that in stride as well. Definitely, definitely. Uh, but speaking of of Nashville and SEC tournament, uh, I mean they 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 did what you wanted them to do. Uh, they won uh, convincingly, leaving no doubt. Uh, and the biggest thing, nobody got injured, so that's always good. Uh, you know, the second half of Arkansas, because I thought Arkansas was playing a little chippy toward the end. You know, in the second half, and you're just thinking. Just, you know, let the clock tick. Let's not get anybody hurt. And I think that was uh, some of the folks I was watching with, that was the big takeaway is let's not get anybody hurt against Arkansas. And I want to just, you know, of course, we always, with every show, we kind of just take a glance back at the games that are taking place while we're on. And then, of course, we are looking to – you know, the games that are coming up right around the corner. But I I want to just kind of look back at that Arkansas game, too, from the standpoint of, and, you know, this wasn't the first rematch that Kentucky's had. You know, they beat Florida three times, um, you know, beat Georgia twice, you know, Missouri twice. They played, played teams multiple times throughout the season already. But, you know, Arkansas was uh, legitimately the second best team in the conference. Uh, by a pretty good margin, they finished thirteen and five. Uh, had the Player of the Year and Bobby Portis uh, went up to Lexington uh, February the twenty eighth. You know the day that you and I are in Lexington you know, on Cameron Mill show. Uh, 
that evening, uh, and Kentucky beats them by 17 there at Rupp Arena. So they had a bad taste in their mouth. You know, that was their shot at the uh, cream of the crop in the conference. So no doubt they want a, another crack at, at Kentucky. Um, you you kind of saw it with, with Bobby Porter saying that he got his wish and that will be playing Kentucky again. Uh, the article on College Spun, and I even used in the piece I wrote kind of recapping the SEC tournament, that Kentucky had barely even got off the floor in beating Auburn on Saturday to move on to the finals. And, of course, Arkansas and Georgia was the second semifinal game, and Arkansas is whooping at Kentucky talking junk before they even handled business against Georgia. I mean, don't win your game first, and they're already, you know, looking ahead and, and talking trash about what's going to happen Sunday. So they do go on out and handle Georgia to set up another rematch for the SEC tournament title. And, you know, the game starts, and before they know what hits them, they're down 8 to nothing. I mean, you know, boom, Kentucky jumped on them again. Uh, you know, they battled back and kept it even for a little bit throughout the teens and 20s, and then, you know, Kentucky's up 16 at the half. Arkansas tries to make a little run. You see them trying to ratchet up, ratchet up the defense. Michael Qualls had a few drives to the bucket, had a, hit a couple jumpers, and you see them trying to mount something. Whatever run they're going to make, this is it. And at this point, it's still a nine-point game. It's like 50-41 to 41 or 48-39, somewhere along in there, and they're still trying to muster up whatever they've got. And then, you know, Kentucky just proceeded to slap them down again. And Bobby Portis was diving, I think, for a loose ball. He ends up diving out of bounds and sliding. And you can just see it in his eyes that, wow, you know, we we don't have anything for him again. It was written all over his face. You know, the game is still not over yet. Uh, then the photo of them on the bench after it is all but over. Uh, which, you know, they wanted another shot. They got another shot. Be careful what you wish for. Two games against Kentucky, one on the road in Rupp Arena, one in the neutral site, uh, and they lost by a combined 32 points to Kentucky in those two games, and that's the second-best team in the conference. Well, and, and, and here's my thing, because I ended up watching the Arkansas game with our good friend Matt May, uh, formerly of the Cats Paws, uh, now working at Keeneland. And his whole thing was, the first game, yeah, the final score was 17, but that was a 30-point game yeah. until until Kentucky put their foot on the brake. I mean, th- at, at no point during that game did somebody say, well, Arkansas could win that game. And really, you know, for 30 minutes of the other night, it was the same kind of thing. You really didn't think Arkansas had a shot? Uh, so that's when you look at the final score and you're kind of like, well, it was just 17. But, you know, even Sunday there were last-minute dunks and, you know, those garbage time buckets that are going to change the the bottom line. I think there was a last-second three or something like that. But Kentucky is 20 points better than Arkansas, at least. Yeah. <laughs> and they were the second-best team in the conference. Yeah. I, I think yeah. – and, you know, when people talk about the schedule and, and this kind of stuff, remember, we could have beaten K 
Kansas. I know Kansas has dropped some games. That could have been a 50-point game. I don't think it's out of the realm to say at least 40, close to 50, had we kept our foot on the gas the entire game. And I think that people that just see the scores don't realize, you know, even the Louisville game was close, but you really didn't think Louisville was going to win it. Oh, no. And that's what what we're going to see, I think, in the tournament. Uh, My goal is is to win every game by at least 10 points. That way, people that talk about the SEC, we can say, well, the SEC team is the only team this year that came close to Kentucky. Nobody else came close at all. Because uh, <laughs> I still don't understand people just bashing Kentucky's schedule. I don't understand it. Uh, you know, when you look at the schedule beforehand and you see Kansas, you know, you see Texas, you see Louisville, you see UCLA, you see Providence, and you think, that's kind of a murderer's row, you know, North Carolina. It is not our fault they were they turned out to be garbage. I mean, I, I, except for Kansas, it, that's not our fault. And uh, I'm, I'm off my soapbox, but, uh, I mean, Kentucky did everything they had to do in Nashville. Win the whole thing, not get anybody hurt, get ready for the big dance. Yep. And that is it. Um, of course, the number one overall seed, which there's no doubt or no way they wouldn't have been, and that even came out, I think, Saturday. Uh article leaked out that said Kentucky was going to be the overall number one regardless of what happened in the final against Arkansas. Um, what about the bracket kind of stood out to you or, or you know, all the other teams, the other 67, the way it's set up. Anything kind of jump out at you or one way or the other? Well, here's here's my thing, and we touched on this last week. It it doesn't really matter who our two seed or three seed or or whatever uh, was going to be. You know, I saw a lot of Kentucky fans this week. I hope so-and-so is not in our bracket. You know, this team could be tough. And that's all well and good. But I tweeted out, there's going to be 67 teams in the bracket that don't want any part of Kentucky. They want Kentucky as far away down the line as they as they can be. The teams that are on the opposite side of the bracket are like, wow, we dodged the bullet. We don't have to play Kentucky until the Final Four or championship game. Uh, for all the nervousness uh, that we have, and I understand that, you know, the big upset, I understand mentally kind of getting to that point, but I'm I'm confident what these guys can do. And I guarantee there are teams that don't want to play Kentucky. You know, the fans may put their signs up at the games, we want Kentucky. No, you don't. No, I mean, you you don't. Uh, As I think it was Jay Billis that said, uh, I can't, I don't know if it was Jay Billis, but somebody, you know, Kentucky may very well lose. They're not, they're not, totally unbeatable, but they're not going to beat themselves. You are going to have to go out and beat them. They're not going to have a bad shooting night and lose because the defense is too good. You know, they're not going to have uh, a subpar defensive game because the offense is so efficient. So if you are going to beat them, you're going to have to bring your A game and hope that they're playing their B game. Because I've said it 
since the season began, Kentucky at their best is better than everybody else by far this year. You know, and I'm not yeah. saying it's a guaranteed win, but I like my chances. N- you know, not too many times can you say, you know, a team is that far ahead of everybody else. I think 2012 we were, you know, 98 we were not. We were a good team no. that played real well, but I don't think, and even our good friend Cameron Mills would say, that they could have slept walk or not played at their absolute best and, and won that championship. Yeah, and they I mean, had to come back in talent, every game. They, I mean, they had to, to, to fight and scratch and, and claw and get there. The key yeah. to what Cal has to do and, and his coaching staff and, and is, is keep these guys focused. Uh, don't worry about the name on the front of the jersey. Go out and execute. You know, Finish your pick strong. Rebound with two hands. Do those little things. In in six games, we'll have that championship that everybody wants. You know, that's kind of where they are, you know, in the big scheme of things. Yeah. And, of course, I don't uh, Things got started, of course, as we mentioned last night, with Hampton beating Manhattan, Ole Miss coming back to beat BYU. Are you a big fan of the play-in games? Do you think that the tournament doesn't officially start until tomorrow at noon? Uh, I mean, I paid attention last night because, you know, Kentucky was playing, you know, uh, two teams in the play-in game. But I, I really, to me, it still doesn't really, it's not really rolling until Thursday when it's going all day from noon to midnight. <laughs> yes. Uh, for me, it's, it's going to be that Thursday. Uh, it just is going to be when uh, – that's, that's when everything gets rolling uh, because that's when your brackets are due. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> the playing games just don't have that significance. I mean, yes, you know, Tennessee made it to the Sweet 16 last year, and there's been some other teams that have come. And I think VCU rode it all the way to the Final Four that year, uh, 2011. But for the most part, I mean, it's, it's just – it doesn't feel right. Uh, as part of the tournament, so I watched it. I watched some of those games, but not like with the in, uh, the focus that I'll be watching starting on tomorrow. Yeah, and <laughs> when you look at the bracket, you know, for of course the 16 Hampton Manhattan, um, Ole Miss BYU playing for an 11 seed, North Florida and Robert Morris, another 16 matchup. And then Boise State and Dayton, another 11th matchup. The winner of that on the bracket. I mean, to me, if you can't stand alone on the bracket, <laughs> you're not in the tournament yet. If, I mean, say Ole Miss goes on and beats um, whoever they get next. Let me find it right quick. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the 11th seed, and they would get. I don't. I can't even find it. But let's see they let's say they uh Xavier. Let's say Ole Miss beat Xavier, the sixth seed, and they play um tomorrow. If Ole Miss wins on the first bracket that's printed up on selection Sunday, you would you would still have to advance Ole Miss slash BYU over Xavier because 
because you know that's the plan. That's who you know. You didn't know who was going to win it. But those one of those is in, but you didn't know until yesterday. So but until you are by yourself, your name is by yourself. That's when you're really in. I mean, congrats to Ole Miss for winning, and they they put for the heck of a comeback. But you know, and I mean, they they probably felt they were in. You know, doing what they had to do last night to come back, but. I'm like you. It doesn't really kick off till Thursday. You get that CBS music. You see Greg Gumbel, Clark Kellogg, and all the fellas in the studio. Um, then it's real rolling. Thursday, Friday, the first two days where it's just wall to wall hoops on four different channels, and you just flip from one to the other. One goes to commercial, go to another one, or they'll take you to another game and whip it around. You know, coverage like that. However you watch it, whatever you do. It all kind of starts tomorrow. No disrespect to all eight teams uh, in this play and stuff. Well, yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is my my thing. If you're going to have that first four, it's got to be let it be the last uh, couple of big conference power conference teams that get in. You know, like uh, Ole Miss and BYU. Don't put Hampton, you know, these teams that are 15, 16 seats, because, you know, now you're like, okay, you're invited to the party, but you got to do something else. And I'm just not a big fan of that. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, I mean, it's, there's no going back now, but it was – I was fine at 64. I'm sure back when we were kids, when they first expanded it to 64, I don't know if it was 48. Went from 48 to 64, what it was back in the 80s. I'm sure there were people like, you know, it's fine the way it is back then, too. So, I mean, <laughs> we still eventually just get used to it and move on, but, you know, <laughs> tournament doesn't start till tomorrow. <laughs> but, um, looking forward to tomorrow for sure. Um, and also, Hopefully at 7.30, we will have Jen Smith on from the Lexington Herald Leader to talk about uh, the U.K. women, Matthew Mitchell and company, getting a two-seed in the women's tournament. It's kind of surprising everybody. I think Coach Mitchell had, had hoped for like a three, a four or a three. They end up with a two and will play Tennessee State at Memorial Coliseum. They get to host the first two rounds there in Lexington. And, um, of course, that's always big the way the, the pods are set up in the women's game, so they get to host and play right there in Lexington and then move on as a two-seed and see how far they're able to get in the tournament as well. So that was good. And hopefully we get to have Jen on to drop some knowledge um, as the women get set for the NCAA women's tournament as well. Right, and that's and that's the thing. Uh, you you got to look at just the state of college basketball in the Commonwealth. It used to be forever and ever just the U.K. men and the Louisville men. Uh, And Western. Western kind of gets overlooked historically as well. But when you look at, because Bellarmine won last night to move on in the Division II tournament, men's tournament. Uh, You got Thomas Moore with Randy Moss's daughter in that tournament. Uh, From top to bottom, I just don't know if there's a state out there that can compete with the Commonwealth of Kentucky hoops. You know, Georgetown College has won championships. Uh, Northern Kentucky has won championships. Kentucky Wesleyan has won championships. 
You know, Western has been to the Final Four. Uh, so for a state our size, that's pretty remarkable to have colleges competitive all across the spectrum uh, of college basketball. That's something for uh, for fans from all over to really be excited about. And Murray State has been good for a long time, and, you know, they right. came up short in their tournament. But, I mean, they were the odds-on favorite to be in the dance this year, won 25 games in a row. And this is the first time they've made noise like this, you know. Um, I think even Campbellsville has college, they have good basketball there on their level too. It's, yeah, it's just it just goes on and on and on, Where no matter where you look, Eastern, Western, Division One, Division Two, you know, NAIA, it, it, it's, it's every level. You're right, man. Yeah, and and so that just moving forward, I think that's just uh, that's just something to be a sense of pride, especially here uh, for Wildcat fans with the number one seed uh, men's and number two women's. That's a pretty good one-two punch there. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's get us a quick little break right quick. Well, let me say quick one more time. Oh, <laughs> if you're listening to <laughs> Gas Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com, plenty more Kentucky basketball talk, you know, men and women in the tournament. Uh, we'll mix in some NFL and NBA and Y'all know how we do. Appreciate you listening. Give us a call, 845-277-9373, or tweet us. However you want to interact, feel free. Looking forward to Jen Smith at 730. We'll be right back in just a few minutes.
Welcome back to Cast Talk with Vinny and Terry. Brown and Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. 845-277-9373. Vinny Hardy here outside Knoxville. Terry not done Brown up in Louisville. Just checked out the cats at the shoot-around at the Yum Center. 13,000 other Blue Faithful on the scene as well. No doubt that was fun. It was special. I saw the pictures. You and your girl there, just checking out the shoot-around. Definitely a fun evening, and then looking for more fun tomorrow uh, when Kentucky tips it off against Hampton. They start their quest for title number nine in the NCAA tournament. Um, we stick with the U.K. theme. We move it to the NBA just a little bit. We all, of course, we're big NBA guys. If you listen to the show, Terry and I jump around, hit all the sports, but as of right now, the New Orleans Pelicans and former cat Anthony Davis have climbed back into an eighth-place tie with the OKC Thunder. New Orleans is 37-30. and 30. Got this exact same record as OKC. Um, OKC has dealt with injuries. Westbrook's been injured. Kevin Durant is hurt right now. Serge Ibaka is going to be out with a knee surgery. Um, and now former cat, Enos Cantor, is there in Oklahoma City. On the flip side, Anthony Davis has dealt with his share of injuries as well. Uh, he's been out and had to miss some time. Uh, he's back. We talked about it last week, the monster game he had, you know, in his first couple games back. Um, but they have gained a couple of games on the Thunder the last 10. New Orleans is 7-3. and three. Oklahoma City is 5-5. Five and five. And this is going to go right down to the wire to see who gets the right to play more than likely the Golden State Warriors because they got a nice little cushion. And unless they fall apart, have the one seed still well in hand. Um, I mean, and I'd like to see Ennis in the playoffs as well. But I'm kind of pulling for AD, you know, since he's the face of New Orleans, been there all year, been putting up numbers ever since he's been in the league. We're still hoping that he gets some more talent around him there in New Orleans. You kind of wonder what he may do when uh, his chance for agency comes calling. Um, but I'd like to see him lead them into the playoffs. I mean, he's still young in his career, but everybody knows what he's capable of and on his way to as long as he continues to stay healthy. Um, I'd love to see them sneak on past Oklahoma City and get that final playoff spot, TV. Yeah, TV. Oh, might have lost TB, or might be something going on with my phone. That wouldn't be the first time. Uh, we had some technical difficulties. But this Can you hear me about... now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Was that me messing something up, man? No, that was that was on that was on my end. I got my little ones running around, so I had us on mute during the break. But uh, uh, <laughs> but I'm back. Uh, but yeah, I'd like hey, I to see uh, uh, Anthony Davis lead the Pelicans into the playoffs simply because if you're going to be that, if you're going to be a superstar, you've got to make the playoffs, even if you're kind of a one man show so to speak, you've got to make the playoffs. I mean, Kevin Durant, for all those years in Minnesota, 
I mean, he wasn't advancing, but he was getting his team to the playoffs. And right. uh, as we're kind of seeing with Kevin Love, when he was in Minnesota, great numbers could never inch his team into the playoffs. And so for uh, if Anthony Davis is able to pull that off, putting up the numbers he's doing, getting his team to the playoffs, stealing a game or two, you know, against uh, Golden State, you know, I think that just lays the foundation and kind of gives the franchise in New Orleans something to, to really push for. So, of course, I'm I'm rooting him on uh, to get that last spot. Yeah, and as far as you said, having the phone on mute during the break with the little ones, I wouldn't know anything about that. I have no clue what you're talking about. <laughs> I've never done that, TV, not me. <laughs> with a six-year-old or two-year-old, I have never once done that. What are you talking about? <laughs> That's that's just me, folks. No, no, it's not. I was I was being totally sarcastic. I've done it. I do it like every show. I do it pretty much every break we take. <laughs> uh, I'll I'll run downstairs with the phone on mute and make a sandwich or change a diaper. What are you talking about? <laughs> you can relate, and you parents out there oh, yeah. can relate. All the parents know what we're talking about. Um. Robert Morris and North Florida have tipped off, and Robert Morris, no, North Florida leads five to two. That is on True TV, and the winner of that will be a 16 seed in the tournament, and will get to face Duke on Friday at 710. Uh, so they're on right now, and then after them, you'll have Boise State and Dayton. And it'll be literally a home game for Dayton as they're playing these playoff games in Dayton like they do every year. So um, I still will watch this over the NIT if I got to choose. I mean, when when the NCAA tournament games, you know, your Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, boom, 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 boom. Then Monday you go back to NIT. I just don't. I don't even watch the NIT. It's kind of like the Pro Bowl. You know, I know it's basketball, and I know those teams are trying to you know move on and advanced to play in Madison Square Garden, but it's still just such a drop-off <laughs> from watching the NCAA tournament teams do battle. I don't really pay attention to the NIT teams. You know, that's just me, though. No, no. I, I, and I know, you know, this sounds bad because, yes, we were in the NIT a couple of years ago, but, you know, it just didn't feel right. Uh, the, I don't know. I, I know it kind of used to have more prestige, but it's uh you know, it's kinda of those those also ran teams uh in the NIT. So but and basically by the time Monday rolls around, you've had four whole days of of big time basketball. You know, you're watching your team, you're keeping up with that and by the time Monday rolls around you just kinda of have to say, Woo uh, you know, <laughs> I need a little break. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And that's what we're gearing up for, uh, you know, starting tomorrow. You know, then Monday we'll get that little break. The NIT to me is, is I mean, they're playing basketball and all, but it's kind of like the Pro Bowl. I just eh, can't get into it. Uh, so, yeah, you know, those teams are, are staying with it and all, but 
Yeah, I know what you're saying as far as that goes. Um, if we go to the NFL real quick, seems like the past three or four shows, I mean, it's always big news, but your 49ers have, have found ways to just stay in the news. First, it was, if I remember right, Frank Gore was going to Philadelphia. Then he decided not to go there. He's going to Indianapolis. Then the following week, you had you know, Patrick Willis announcing his retirement. Uh, Justin Smith was kind of in limbo as to what he was going to do. And then leading into this week, Justin Borland, and this just kind of piggybacks on what we talked about last week with Patrick Willis, Jake Locker, um, Justin Worlds, and um, all these young guys, you know, stepping away early. Um, I'm forgetting one of those guys. But Chris Borland, first-year linebacker uh, for your 49ers, played at Wisconsin. He is going to retire at the age of 24 uh, because, you know, he's been reading up on the head injuries and had a concussion and just said, oh, I, that's probably enough, and he's not going to push the issue anymore as far as his health is concerned. Uh, we talked about it last week, young guys kind of playing three or four years, get a contract, and, and stepping away. Uh, would it maybe lead to more of this? happening, and uh, we've seen another guy since we were on last week decide to do that. So, I, I mean, he plays for your team, plays for the 49ers, so I know uh, you were well aware what happened and, you know, tweeting with the fellow Niners fans and reading articles from Niners writers and things like that, but definitely had to get your thoughts on uh, that as well. Well, this is – I don't think it's going to be a trend uh, necessarily. Uh because Borland had some success. Uh, I think it was the Saints game. He got a, a kind of last-second turnover to steal the game uh, for us. He, he had a promise. It's not like it's, this is an end-of-the-bench guy. He was figuring, especially with Willis uh, retired, he was going to get, he, you know, he was going to be utilized. Uh, but for him just to say, you know, I love football, but I don't love these long, uh, these long-lasting effects. Uh, I think speaks volumes. It, it really does, uh, because it's saying, "Hey, you know, this fame, this fortune, this uh, prestige—it's it's not worth my down the the line." And you see some of these old time, especially football players, and it's just—it's—it's it's horrible. It's—it's it's, it's terrible. It, it's just heartbreaking. Uh, you know the stuff they've put their body through. Uh, so he's putting a human face on on this emotion. Yeah, and and I'm I guess I'm kind of in the middle. I don't know if I'll say that it's going to be a trend. We might see it happen more than we have, you know, just, you know, with guys kind of being more up on things and more information coming out as far as the effects. But we have seen it, you know, happen throughout our lives. I mean, you go back to, you know, 1999, you know, Barry Sanders retires at 30 years of age. 
and there was a good three or four year stretch where, you know, I'm sure pretty much everybody thought, yeah, Barry, he's going to come back. He'll be back. He'll be back. And he didn't come back. He stayed retired. Um, you go way back to, you know, 1964, 1965, Jim Brown did the same thing. At, you know, the top of his game, about 30 years old, uh, he retired. He was taking a beating. The game was different then than now. Uh, and he was a physical specimen, you know, bigger and stronger and faster than everybody. But uh, he had had wear and tear, and he just wasn't going to do it anymore. Then you had, you know, the money wasn't like it is now either. And he had the opportunity to go and make movies uh, and do well in that regard. And then, you know, making a movie with Raquel West, that probably made a decision easier as well. So we've seen it before. We've seen it happen throughout the years. Um it might be a little bit of an uptick going forward, I think, just due to the fact that everybody's kind of got more knowledge on uh, the detrimental effects and what happens as your career progresses and those hits accumulate. Right, and you have to uh, you have to just think that you know that that kind of thing, that kind of abuse, it accumulates, and there's got to be a long term uh, effect on it. And now that we're finally seeing what these guys in the 50s and 60s are doing now, it's, it's got to be a a wake-up call to some of these guys. So, uh, like I said, I don't think that we'll see a a, a, po- a point where, uh, you know, half of the guys in the NFL are done, are done with it because you're still going to have, you know, a, a roster full of young kids at the combine. I don't think it's going to be – something where the NFL will be crippled, but it's going to be interesting to see how many others after a year or two or, or whatnot walk away. That That's going to be definitely interesting to kind of keep up with. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is changing a little bit. Not sure how drastic it'll be, but it's a little bit noticeable. And like you said, we'll see how much more or less noticeable, noticeable that it gets going forward. Um, if we flash back to Sunday's title game for the SEC tournament against Arkansas, you know, we gotta <laughs> gotta throw out, you know, the Dickie V Ashley Judd thing. What was what was your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, a a lot of and here's and here's the thing about that, um, you know, and having daughters and kind of paying attention to that where you see an older gentleman kind of Invade the um, personal space of a, a younger female, uh, and a lot of people have gotten on the Dick Vitale kind of what's going on. Yeah, and I've tweeted out that uh, our our vice president Joe Biden kind of does the same kind of thing, where it's kind of it's a little creepy. Uh, yeah. And because the the one still shot you have of Ashley Judge, she's kind of leaning away and it, it's just even if she was okay with it it's just a bad kind of look so um yeah that's just, that's just something as a society thing you kind of see that a lot with the older guys and the younger women where they get a little too handsy a little too uh into their personal space yeah so it was i mean it happened before the kentucky game and she is the resident super fan so we got to I throw it out there. Um, 
So, you know, it kind of, I don't know, it is what it, it is, what it is, was what it was. And you got people on both sides of, of that as far as opinions go. But, mm. but um, yeah, it was a little bit weird when you saw the picture in the tweet. Like, wow. But uh, moving on, <laughs> <laughs> you got, um, when Rick Pitino was on Dan Patrick, he was asked about the 96 team backing up to this year's team. He went with the 96 team. Wall and Cousins have, you know, of course, sided with the 2010 team if they were going up against this year's team. The thoughts on that. This this kind of stuff has kind of been bantered around throughout the year anyway. Uh, I remember – Derek Anderson was tweeting that Greg Anthony, it's for Greg Anthony, made his mistakes and got himself suspended from CBS. The UCLA game, where it was just an absolute dismantling, and, you know, the commentators were just filling airtime with just anything to talk about because, you know, it was 24 to nothing at that point or, you know, whatever the score was. And, you know, Derek was tweeting, yeah, well, don't forget, you know, we, all of the things that we did, you know, we scored 86 points and a half, we did this, we did that. And, you know, he was kind of just making it, if you, in case you forgot, let me remind you about some of the stuff we did on, on in 96. So you, you had different teams, members go to bat for their respective teams, Oh. TTI kind of said, you know, or around the horn, one of those shows talked about is, is Kentucky hating Cousins and Wall hating on the cat, you know, just something. It, Kentucky leads as far as every story, you know, it's, it's Kentucky, something about Kentucky at the beginning of every show. Um, but, you know, Wall and Cousins are going to be partial to their team. You know, even Slick Rick, he'll be partial to the 96 team. Uh, we've seen it all and kind of heard it as the season's progressed, but that was kind of the latest that I'd heard before we came on today uh, about teams stacking up with this year's team. And, and my thing is you can you can only do that if you've got a program with some history. Uh, <laughs> you know, North Carolina uh, can say, you know, did their 09 team with Hansborough, was that, how would that fare against the 82 team with, with Jordan Worthy? I mean, you can do that when you've got some history. I think that should the Cats go 40-0 this year, uh, that definitely puts them into discussion, whether or not uh, college basketball is down, whatever, uh, SEC is down, whatever it is, 40-0 is 40-0. And, and doing it under this media microscope, they they, they get up there. Um, but when you look at each team, uh, they're so unique, uh, and I always would think that the the '96 team, just because and uh, just because of their experience and their depth, uh, you got to remember. I mean, Derek Anderson was coming off the bench, and he ended up having a quite long, successful NBA career. You know, Antoine Walker, hey. Yeah, he lost a lot of money, but he made a lot of money as well. So, uh, and I, I don't know if it's, this is my get off my 
lawn old man moment. But that 96 team, it's going to take a lot in my mind to knock them off that pedestal because, and I know they had some close games, but they just had this aura, even though they lost to UMass at the beginning of the year and even though they lost to Mississippi State in the SEC championship, at no point during that season did I or most people think that they would not win the championship. And they went out and they they beat teams down from the from the tip. And it was just you know, that eighty six point half against LSU was like nothing I'd ever seen. Nothing. I just just obliterated LSU. And then they get to the tournament and you've got all American Tim Duncan at Wake Forest, and they make him disappear. Uh, Pope and uh, McCarty and Antoine Walker. I mean, they 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 wrote they made him disappear, and I think they could do that to any of the other teams in Kentucky's history that's come after them. They were just that tenacious on defense. So, if it comes to that discussion, I, I'm going to lead toward '96. Uh, just because I think they had that edge, they had that uh, a little more of that swag, thanks to Antoine Walker. Uh, I always, I, I, it's going to take a lot to, for me, for them, for somebody to knock them off of the, the pedestal. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, and that, like you said, that, that Wake Forest game where they just. They just swarmed Duncan. They were like locusts. Just <laughs> and they just devoured him. Uh, that kind of, I mean, that just stands out as one of those things that you remember about that run to the title. Of course, you always remember the game against uh, Syracuse. Uh, you remember Dale Kaden the three, but just the absolute, the way they were just just dismantled Tim Duncan, like you said. Uh, tenacity on defense and how they just swarmed them. Sometimes you you, know, you hit the YouTube videos or the compilations, and that that always makes its way in there where they're just surrounding him, harassing him, whatever word you want to describe. That's what they were doing, you know, and just totally taking him out of his game. So yeah, that it's you'd have to definitely do a lot to. And a lot of people said the same thing about, the, you know, the 78 team. They were, you know, prohibitive favorites going in to win as well. Um, the same kind of kind of thing. It was, you know, they were expected to win. They went in and they won it, much like 96, much like, you know, they're going in starting tomorrow. It's the same kind of thing. So, um, no doubt each, each of the players on those teams will stand up for their own team. But, yeah. It might be generational, but yeah, once again, we fall into that that '90s generation. The '96 is is very very strong and really really ingrained on our minds. Yeah, and, and here's my thing, uh, another soapbox thing. I, I think sometimes we're we're prisoners of the moment. What's happening right now is the best ever. Now, don't get me wrong. I love this team and what this team has been able to do. But I see people saying, well, this is the most unselfish team 
I've ever seen in Kentucky. And I don't think that's true. Yes, these guys, nine McDonald's All-Americans, giving up a lot for the team, and that's fantastic. But 96, again, Derek Anderson did not start. Ron Mercer, McDonald's All-American, who could have gone anywhere else to start, came here and did not start. Okay, let's – those guys sacrificed a lot. Antoine Walker, who famously said when someone asked him, why do you shoot so many threes? Because there aren't any fours. That's what he said. <laughs> and he didn't shoot the ball 20 times a game for that team. Okay? Right. That's sacrifice. So when you hear best ever or most selfish, you know, selfless team, we've had a lot of them. You know, the 98 team, probably the least talented individually of any of our title teams, found a way to win because they believed in each other and they sacrificed for each other. So this team, I love them to death. I want them to go 40-0. But we have had other examples of teams sacrificing for the common good. And I just don't want to, like I said, become a prisoner of the moment and say what we're seeing right now, it's unique in these days and times, but we've seen this before. Going back to Rupp's run, you give it all for the team. That's how it gets done. You know, we don't have that uh, Carmelo Anthony Syracuse run where it's kind of a one-man show or or Danny Manning, Danny and the Miracles at Kansas uh, back in uh, 88. You know, I know I'm dating myself now. But we do have total team efforts, and we always have talented people come in and give up an awful lot to play for Kentucky. You're telling me that this team is unquestionably more unselfish than Anthony Davis's 2012 team? I mean, look at what he is doing now. And he took, what, the fifth most shots on the team? Yes. And you're telling me he didn't sacrifice a lot? Is that what you're telling me? You look at Eric Bledsoe's career. You look at John Wall's career in the NBA and in college, and you don't tell me that they didn't sacrifice to play together, DeMarcus Cousins? Did, I, I, I don't get it. We've had, since Cal's been here with Rick, with Tubby, we've had people sacrifice. And if you're saying this team is the most, they've, they've sacrificed the most, I, I, I don't buy that. We've had a lot of people that have sacrificed for the good of the team. Yeah. yeah. You can go back to different levels, different levels of history. You sure can, like you said. So um, it's absolutely true. This isn't the first time that this has taken place. At Kentucky, um, you mentioned um, Carmelo, and that just goes back to what we were talking about when we were hoping Anthony Davis gets his team to the playoffs. Because unlike Kevin Love, who wasn't able to get Minnesota to to the playoffs, Carmelo was at least getting there in Denver. He wasn't advancing, but he was getting his team there. You know, he was the face of the Nugget. He was getting there. He was getting bounced. Uh, Tracy McGrady did the same thing, a lot of one and done. So he was getting his team there. And that's another reason we like to see Davis get the Pelicans there 
you're the star. Get your team to the playoffs and then see what happens once you get there. Speaking of Melo, speaking of Syracuse, we had breaking news earlier today. Breaking news. Breaking news to me means something's about to go down. It's breaking. It's, you know, wow, it's going to be shocking. Breaking news today on March 18th, Jim Beheim's going to retire in three years. But, hey, it was breaking news today. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, I've got a lot to say about Jim Beheim and Syracuse. Uh, I think Syracuse gets a pass because of being in the Big East and being a big-time program in the Big East and a lot of journalists going through Syracuse's journalism school. Uh, I think Jim Bayheim is a great coach. But when you look at his resume, it, it doesn't stack up to a lot of his contemporaries. One championship in 30 years, uh, a couple of runner-up finishes, not as startling as, I mean, you look at Rick, Rick, what Rick Pitino has done. I, I, I would put Pitino on my coaching list higher than Bayheim in all actuality. Uh, maybe even, you know, John Thompson when he was at Georgetown. He didn't have quite the longevity of Jim Bayheim, but produced almost the same amount, uh, same results. So, yeah, I, I'm just not a, I'm not a Syracuse fan. Although one of my college players of all time played at Syracuse, Lawrence Moten, who I don't know if a, young, a lot of young people probably haven't heard of him, but he led the Big East in score, and I think it was uh, 94, 95, and was just a phenomenal ball player. Uh, that's a little side note. But other than that, I'm not a big Syracuse fan. And, I mean – I think Bamani Jones said it today on – might have been highly questionable with, with Dan Levitard and Poppy because um, they had mentioned the same thing about Behan. And <laughs> Bamani said, you know, as, as far as how long he's been there, similar to what you said, uh, you know, uh, one title, a couple of runner-ups, you know, in the Final Fours and stuff like that. <laughs> Bamani said, John Calipari's done all that since 2007. <laughs> so he said, and, you know, he's, Bayon's been there since 1976. So he, he kind of, yeah, he, he, in a nutshell, he said, Cal's done that in eight years. What, you know, Bayon's done in his whole career in Syracuse. He's kind of yeah. like, um, like Johnny Manziel. I mean, I was, I was, you know, Manziel came out and just was, you know, making all these plays at Texas A&M. And I was like, man, this, you know, this is unbelievable. His game at Alabama how uh, they just went in there and just, you know, smacked Alabama in the mouth and he ran around and did all that. And so I was, you know, I was pulling for the kid to win the Heisman, you know, as a freshman. I'm like, man, this, I want to see this dude win the Heisman. And, you know, then, you know, he just gets too full of himself and then he kind of turns me against him. You know, he's, you know, taking pictures, partying everywhere and he's getting cocky and making money signs and just, you know, it just, he didn't handle it well and he's still not handling everything the best, even now he's in Cleveland and, you know, check yourself into rehab and all that. You know, I was, I was, yeah, I like him, I like him, then you turn me against him. Kind of the same way with 
Jim Behan. Uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit. You often say that we're old, and, I mean, we kind of are. I'm not going to say that, even though we're the same age, because then, you know, we'll start believing it and start acting that way. But we have been around and seen some <laughs> seen some games and, and can actually go back into our mental archives, you know, a little bit. And we do from time to time on this show. But unlike you, I don't remember – the 1986 NCAA championship, I just, I mean, I just don't. I was eight when it happened, you know, Louisville won, uh, beat Duke. I just, I'm, I'm sure my dad had it on. I'm sure I was running around. I just don't remember anything about that game. The first NCAA title game I remember watching was the following year in 87. That's the first one where I'm, I'm watching, I'm keeping up what's going on. I'm sitting there watching Keith Smart hit that jumper to beat Syracuse. I was pulling for Syracuse like crazy to win that game. I guess, you know, you you, you get your Hoosier hate pretty early. Uh, so I was not <laughs> pulling for Indiana. <laughs> and, I, you know, I was – Yeah, yeah, and – and on the side note, Jim Beheim looks, I mean, I think the dude's age kind of okay. You look at him in those 80s clips with them big old glasses, and he looks just so goofy. So he looks, he looks a little better now than he did then, but that's just a side note. But I felt just horrible for for those guys losing on the buzzer beater like that. I mean, it was a good shot by Smart going baseline. So I was pulling for Syracuse. Um, of course, in 96, you know, you, you – you couldn't pull for him in 96, he was playing Kentucky. So he was still on that list, you know, great coaches, never to win it all. Um, so finally when Carmelo was there in 03 and he finally gets that championship, you know, I was, you know, I was happy for Bayheim, good for him, good for him, glad he won it, glad they beat Kansas. Uh, his wife was from southeast Kentucky. That's cool. I'm like, that, that made him even cooler. I was like, that's all right. And now he's just – you know, he's kind of pushed everybody away, and me anyway, with the crotchety, you know, he's never been warm and fuzzy. But now you got this and all the trouble and stuff that they're unearthing at Syracuse, and now he's kind of made me do an about-face on him. I mean, maybe that happens to everybody when you have been around as long as he has. He couldn't care less. But, you know, I was I was in his corner, and now I'm not as much, basically is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's the. I, I don't know. I've just never been a. I'm, I'm not. A, I'm not a fan of zone defense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in general, so that's kind of made me even more kind of anti-Syracuse. I do follow Bomani Jones and say zone is for cowards. Uh, if you do it all the time, that's kind of my. Uh-huh. That's kind of my thing. You you've got the horses, you know, man to man. You know, do what you got to do. Uh, but and I actually, you know, '96. Of course, I wanted Kentucky to win, but I kind of like that that '96 team with John Wallace because I mean they went on a run that, you know, they went on that Cinderella run. You know, they, uh, you know, shouldn't have uh, got to the Final Four that year. I think was it Arizona the number one seed they beat? I think so. It'll 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 come to me. Because the highlight was when they won the regional final, and you've got Al McGuire there, who, who was a fantastic coach at Marquette, 
but a equally outstanding sportscaster, and they're dancing, and he's just going to town with them. He's getting, yeah. <laughs> I just remember yeah. this vision of their dancing with the nets around, and, and here he is just uh, doing his own little thing. It was just that was just an image uh, from my mind that just kind of stuck out to me. Uh, oh, and I'm going to my. Ninety-six uh, shirt. Uh, my grid, my uh, bracket shirt, because I get a bracket shirt every time Kentucky wins. And Syracuse beat Kansas. They beat Arizona and then beat Kansas to make it to the Final Four. Uh, that's how that came. That that video is one that I've um, always remembered too. It's one of those those YouTube clips, I'll, I'll, I'll pop it up and sometimes I'll just post it for the heck of it. Um, at that random, it was, um, but Al McGuire was there. I remember that he was interviewing them all. And if you go to YouTube and, um, pull up white men should not dance. It was like a sports center clip and Al McGuire was in there. Uh, it had, uh, Robert Kraft, after the Patriots won the title, they had him dancing yeah. one time, and they had uh, the one there, you, um, your boy, <laughs> Mark Madsen, when the Lakers won, oh, checked yeah. up there rapping. <laughs> yeah. um, Mark, they, they, Mark Madsen. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I'm going to post it on the Cats Talk Twitter right quick just so y'all can visualize what Terry and I are talking about. But, yeah, the, the Syracuse guys were sitting there chanting, the Cuse is in the house, oh, my God, oh, my God. And, and <laughs> Al McGuire is dancing, too. He almost falls down. <laughs> yeah, he, he, like, loses his balance. That's right. He's <laughs> about falling right. over and just keeps on rolling with it. But, yeah, that was, that's, like, the go-to clip. Even the um, the late Art Modell after the Ravens won, I think, their first Super Bowl, he was up there. Ray Lewis does what he does. And then Art, you know, Art busts the move, too. So it's just great, man. It's hilarious. And that uh, Al McGuire clip, is, it holds its own. It is just as good as any of the other ones. Yeah, and, th- and that's just my thing is just, oh, that was fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Yeah, so check that out. We're, I'm about to tweet it out. I'm going to type a little something with it. But uh, it's, it's good stuff. Um, now, Mrs. TB your lovely wife is from Cincinnati, right? Correct. And I know you're wondering where I'm going, but if you know Kentucky handles business against Hampton, they get the winner of the Cincinnati Purdue game in the eight nine match. I wasn't trying to make you nervous or nothing by asking about Miss T B. I know you're like you're like, what is he talking about? But are the <laughs> are the are the Cincinnati fans of course they want to win. Is there any additional clamoring or, or chatter about the potential matchup well, with Kentucky? Because I went to bigbluehistory.net. We don't play Cincinnati a lot. I remember, and I was I was about right, and so I was thinking about it today before I was able to look it up. And I was like, man, uh, when was the last time we played them? And the first time I remember, I was like, was it 90 or 91? Because I remember being about 12 and <laughs> asking my dad, like, what is a Bearcat? And <laughs> Because I'd never heard, I was like, Cincinnati Bearcats. And they played November 28, 1990, Kentucky at Cincinnati. Kentucky won 75-71. The last time they played, it was 
10 years ago tomorrow, March 1905, in the tournament in Indianapolis, Kentucky won 69-60. So, I mean, it just doesn't I, I, happen a lot. I was at that game. I, really? I was at that uh, 2005 game. Wow. The but second it, it, round. Let me tell you something. Uh, that game, and I would anticipate this potential rematch, that game was very, very electric. It had a, a pretty good feel to it. To be quite honest with you, I know we won by nine, but that was a that was a dog fight or a cat fight, if you will, uh, from yeah. the tip. I don't know why they don't play more. Uh, you're right, Miss uh, the lovely Mrs. TB is from Cincinnati, and my father-in-law is a UC grad, and a couple of my sister-in-law went to UC as well. But uh, I don't know why we don't play them more regular. Uh, I couldn't tell you. I actually tweeted out because the Bearcats practiced before Kentucky came out today. And while the, when Cincinnati came out for the shoot around, uh, I tweeted out a picture of them on the floor and I said, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, Cincinnati they won't punch any police horses. Uh, a, a little jab at some of their, their mid to late nineties kind of where they were the bad boys of college basketball. Yeah. Yeah, I caught it pretty good from some of the Cincinnati fans. I didn't realize that there were that many passionate Cincinnati folks out there, but there are. And, you know, when you look at their history, they, they've had a pretty good history. When you could say they're a top 20 program uh, of all time, they've got some wins. They've got some notable folks coming through there. You know, you start with a big O. You look at Kenyon Martin, how phenomenal he was. Uh, at the college level especially, and UC's got uh, a lot to be proud of. But I think they kind of fall in. Your boy Nick the Quick. Yes, yes, Nick Van Exel and those squads, certainly. Uh, But I think they kind of fall into the same kind of realm as Louisville does. You're great. You know, you're a good program, but – you know, you're just right up the road from Kentucky. So I think that kind of – I wouldn't say they have little brother syndrome, but uh, for the most part it's kind of, you know, distant cousin syndrome. <laughs> you know, like why does that yeah. cousin get all of the favor from grandma and grandma, that kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> so I think there's a little bit of animosity with that. The fact that we don't play them a lot probably makes it more like a cousin – since, you know, playing Louisville every year and interacting with them makes it more like a brother in the same household. That's a, that's a pretty good analogy that you be. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing is, and I tell people, it, it's just like Auburn and Alabama. That is probably the best uh, analogy I have for Louisville, Kentucky. When you look at Auburn by itself, you know, uh, runner-up a couple years ago, national title with Cam Newton, you know, they've got history. You know, you've got Bo Jackson coming through there. Fantastic. And, and you think of them being one of the blue bloods of football. But, you know, here comes the but. You look in the other direction and you've got Alabama who, you know, three titles with Saban and Bear Bryant and just on and on and on. And it can give them kind of an inferiority complex. 
uh, and I don't say that to be derogatory, but I think it's, it's true. true. I mean, let's say, for the sake of argument, Kentucky wins a championship this year, okay? That'll be two titles in a four-year span with another Final Four in 2014 and another Final Four in 2011. Louisville has just been on the best run they've had since the mid-'80s. They've gone to a Final Four. They win the, the national championship. That 2013 title could get lost in the shuffle, to be honest with you. The folks outside of Louisville-Jefferson County, if Cal wins it undefeated this year, you know, and, and you need, it's just going to be totally overshadowed. People won't even remember that, that Louisville won the championship. And, I, again, I'm not saying that to be mean. It's just a true statement. You know, you kind of forget that in Alabama's run, well, yeah, you know, uh, Auburn did, you know, with Cam Newton. They did win one. It's kind of, you know, you have to think about it. You know, because people are holding up signs, we want Alabama. You know, now people are holding up signs, we want Kentucky. And, and Louisville kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah, because when you when you flash back, I mean, you know, Kentucky won the four with eight off rep, 48. 49, 51, and 58, and then there was a 20-year period, and then they won again in 78 for number five, and, you know, that's five to nothing. And then two years later in 80, Louisville wins 86. Louisville wins again, so now it's five to two. But that little stretch, I mean, I mean, heck, you lived there. You were a kid. You probably couldn't tell Louisville fans nothing. Even though you know Kentucky had the edge, you know five to two overall, but all but one of Kentucky mm-hmm. was back before the '60s. So you know in modern times, quote unquote, then Louisville was up two to one. You know y'all won '78, but boom, boom, '80, '86, here we are, and Kentucky didn't win again until '96. Um, so yeah they for a little minute there no doubt they felt good about themselves and and you know they've had quite a period a bit of a dry spell until two thousand thirteen because I used to give it to all my cousins and family, you know, especially after ninety six and ninety eight you know waiting for y'all to do something still waiting still waiting and um and my cousins that are right around my age, I'm like, man, y'all haven't even won a title. When the TV isn't fuzzy. I mean, 86, we didn't even have good TV for y'all to watch the last time y'all won. You know, I can't say that now since they won in 13. But, man, that was some of my go-to trash <laughs> talk to them, you know. <laughs> hey, look how, you know, y'all, we used to have floor model TVs. When y'all was watching Purvis, you know, it, it would go back and forth and good fun. But that it had been a long time for them before they did anything until this one in 2013. And it very easily could be. Uh, overshadowed with the run that Kentucky is on, you know, just kind of swallowed up with what Big Blue is doing. Yeah, and that's the thing is, uh, but yeah, uh, I was like you. Uh, once we'd gone on that run after '98, and you know, still, you know, with Tubby, you know, 2005, uh, you know. You know, coming close 2003, having a great team. Uh, it, it was a while because 86 was the last championship before the three point shot. And that was my go to right. move 
where you haven't won a championship since the three-point shot has come into play. I mean, that was, in, in, you know, that's forever ago. Uh, but, you know, now they won, and, you know, I talked to my good friends that are Louisville fans, and it's kind of the same uh, kind of thing is, they, you know, they'll they'll say to you, if, if Kentucky wins this way this year, it'll be like 2013 didn't exist because it'll be Ooh. sandwiched around a Kentucky title, uh, you know, unexpected runner-up finish, and then an undefeated season? Are you kidding me? That's a – even if you <laughs> – even if you counter with the 2013 NIT team, really, who, who, what program is not going to take that? Two titles, undefeated, runner-up, and NIT, who says no to that? Who? And then, like, you extend it out further in uh, you, 2011 was a Final Four team. You extend it out further – and quite possibly, think about this, and I was mind-blown thinking about that the John Wall Elite Eight team, again, provided this team runs the table, will be Cal's worst finish in Lexington. Yeah, Elite Eight. Yep. But, That's but crazy. It, 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 I mean, think about that. Five, you know, Elite Eight. Final Four, title, nothing, runner-up. Who who says no to that? Nobody. Nobody says no to that. Not one program says, no, we're good. We don't need that. Yeah. And, and you throw in how Kentucky has, you know, Cal is 7-1 and one against Louisville, and it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon. And – you know, I can see us being, you know, in our 50s, 60s, and like, yeah, you know, uh, the only reason Louisville's won is because Cal had that one down year. Outside <laughs> of that, I mean, I mean, honestly, I mean, I just see that, like, yeah, we had a bad team. That's the only reason you won. Because <laughs> when we played you, we put you out of the tournament. So, <laughs> and, uh, and that yeah, year, that that year, um, 2013, it was all Louisville to do to win that game. I mean, it was at Louisville, and they won 80 to 77. I mean, they had to fight tooth and nail to win that one in the regular season. Yeah, because that was the one game where Archie Goodwin went into complete just NBA Live mode, NBA Jam mode, and just yeah. went, went bombs away and played incredibly well. Yeah, and it was, you know, it was, they had to survive that Kentucky team, and that was their title team. <laughs> they 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 had that breathe a sigh of relief to get that W. And and like you said, as far as the little brother complex, going back to Alabama and Auburn, uh, if you watch the uh, the Roll Tide War Eagle documentary that, that's, you know, very well done on both sides, when they flash back to, you know, the recruitment of Bo Jackson and when he goes to Auburn, it's a period where where Alabama is just whooping Auburn every year. And it was, like you said, the um, 
a sense of, you know, desperation, a sense of hopelessness is kind of setting in. You know, it's going to be another loss to Alabama for Auburn. I think both comes in there. I think it might have been 82 where he goes over the top uh, for a touchdown at the end. And just the jubilation, the sheer ecstasy of Auburn finally, finally breaking through to uh, get that win, you know, much similar to the way Louisville fans have felt and appear to be on their way to feeling again when they go head-to-head and keep coming up short against Kentucky. Right, and, and you you factor in that 2013 was the worst team the Cows had, you know, bar none, and that was not a runaway game. And even uh, Billy, well, I, uh, I think Michelle might be listening, but Billy G's last team took a Edgar Soska like 40-foot shot to win that game. So when you look at the series here the last 10 years, Louisville squeaks by, but Kentucky usually wins with ease. And uh, CardChronicle.com, basically his write-up before the game was basically kind of saying the same thing we are, that Kentucky's record against Louisville or Louisville's record against Kentucky is really kind of souring what should be a great time to be a Louisville basketball fan. You know, you're back to being a consistent top ten team. you got a championship, final four. But here you are in Kentucky shadow. Yeah, it's just – and it grows longer and longer uh, with each passing year. Um, Speaking of Kentucky, we're going to continue talking Kentucky basketball. Flip back to the women's side as we're joined uh, by our guest now. She covers – uh, the Kentucky women's basketball team for Lexington Hurl leader. Uh, she's been on the radio in Knoxville down here where I'm at uh, with Vince Ferrara on the new Central Sports page, a friend of our show. She is Jen Smith, a Lexington Hurl leader. Jen, you're on with Vinnie Hardy and Terry Brown. Thank you so much for coming on our little show this evening. How are you doing? Sure, I'm doing great. How are you guys? Can't I'm complain. doing fabulous. I just got to watch the shoot-around today at the Yum Center, so I'm in a very good mood today. <laughs> Sounds like it was a packed house over there. The lower level was pretty much full there at, at Yum, and uh, the the crowd was there, I would say, a good half an hour before the Cats even took the floor doing the blue-white chain and go big blue, and Cincinnati was still on the floor. So they were ready. They stood <laughs> applauded for most of the time that the Cats were out on the floor. It's it's such a it's always much a much more interesting dynamic when the Kentucky men sort of travel, you know, around for the for the SEC tournament and and just different places around the country with the NCAA tournament to see a kind of different brand of cat fan. I mean, they're not the the kind of older people that have have had seats at Rupp for the last fifty years, well, thirty some odd years. They're they're a different kind of group, and they they're always rowdy and ready to go, aren't they? Oh, I mean, they were cheering on the way into the Yum Center. I mean, uh, I've got two little girls. Well, I, they won't they'll get mad at me if I say little girls, but i got a nine-year-old and a six-year-old. And, you know, they've been to Kentucky things with me before, but even they were like, well, this is, this is weird. Uh, we're watching Cincinnati warm up, and my youngest says, well, didn't they tell the Cincinnati fans that this was going on? Because there's nothing Kentucky fans here. So... <laughs> And I said, well, these people were not normal people, sweetie. That's kind of how that works. That would be such a 
which I'm sort of I'm sort of in my head cheering for Cincinnati to get to that next that next game because I have a lot of friends in Northern Kentucky that are UC fans that that have just been kind of chomping at the bit for Kentucky to get you know to get a shot at Kentucky after all these years of not playing them. So I'm sort of intrigued by that that potential matchup. I, I, we're just I am talking as well. about that. Yeah, yeah we're my, talking about my wife or something. Are you there, yeah, we're talking about the, yeah. yeah, yeah, we're talking about that exact same thing. How it had been ten years to the day tomorrow since huh. the last time they had played. Uh, it was the nineteenth of March of two thousand five in the NCAA tournament. Terry said he was actually at that game, and you know it's just. It, it, to be that close, it doesn't happen much. Before they played no five, the last time was 1990 because I remember I was I was 12 and I was asking my dad what a bearcat was because we just don't play them a lot, you know. <laughs> yeah. It it's a real animal though. They've got it at the Cincinnati. It's a real animal. I have seen the the bearcat. My father-in-law you know, wanted you to make mentioning... sure I saw the actual bearcat. You mentioned your little girls earlier, and I have little boys that are six and three, and we also saw the Bearcat. I was going to mention that, but you beat me to it. <laughs> what in the world? It's a weird-looking thing. but uh... It is. It is a very weird-looking <laughs> thing. And actually, the, the mascot sort of looks like it. I mean, it's it's a pretty close, you know, to an actual Bearcat, whereas if you go, there's like this wildlife place in Frankfurt that has the actual Wildcat, you know, and he doesn't yeah, really look that like the mascot. <laughs> Yeah, the Salado Center is fantastic uh, because my yeah. youngest wants us to bring the Wildcat to the games. Like, I can't remember who we saw during football, but actually, oh, we watched a special on Uga. And she mm-hmm. said, well, why don't they bring a Wildcat? And I said, Wildcats aren't very friendly to large crowds. No. <laughs> right. You know, I, they, last year I did a story, I did a football notebook, I think it was this summer, where um, we took – I took a look at all the suggestions that fans made that UK was sort of soliciting for how they could help the football, you know, kind of environment. And a bunch of fans wrote in that they wanted a live wildcat, like an Uga or, a, you know, you know, Mike the Tiger at LSU or one of those. And apparently a bunch of, um, you know, zoologists and different people have told them that if you bring a live wildcat, like it literally could scare it to death because they're like, singular solitary creatures out in the wild and if you put it in front of a crowd like that in that kind of decibel that it really it could literally kill the animal and they were like okay we're gonna scrap that idea <laughs> yeah that's a, well, we, kind of like a we, like a gotten, rabbit yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've gotten sidetracked with mascots uh, uh there jim but you've been following uh coach matthew mitchell and the, the uk hoops team uh, all over creation, dodging winter storms and whatnot. What are you kind of looking for as the women's tournament uh, begins here this weekend as well? Um, I, I guess I'm sort of looking for them to, to take a, a jump off. You know, they had like kind of a, a dud. They had like a, just a three-game losing streak where they looked terrible almost toward the end of the season, like, you know, 20 days ago, I guess. And they just – they just kind of fell apart. They didn't look at, they looked like a shell of their former selves. They weren't playing very hard. They clearly weren't playing for each other. You know, there seemed to be a divide between the veterans and the underclassmen. And it just seemed sort of like a team in turmoil. And it, I, I guess the seniors got together and they went to Matthew Mitchell's house and they said, look, we need to, you know, the, the younger players aren't listening to us. And we know that we need to go back to this style of play, this aggressive 
kind of in-your-face nasty style in order to win these games coming up. So you're just going to have to become, you know, a jerk again, like you were when we were freshmen. You need to stop being a nice guy, stop, you know, coddling these freshmen and really just let into them. And he took that to heart. I mean, he wanted they wanted him to re-engage with those, the younger kids. And, you know, it equaled a four-game winning streak in beating number two South Carolina on senior day. So clearly something they did, something they changed worked. You know, and then I think they just ran out of gas at the SEC tournament. But I'm sort of eager to see if they can continue what they were building up until, you know, the Tennessee game in the semifinals to see if they're, you know, a team that can kind of get deeper into the tournament. Were were you surprised to see a, a two seed? I know after the, the win over South Carolina, they moved up to number 12 in the poll going into the SEC tournament. Uh, Coach Mitchell was kind of lobbying for a three. Were you a little surprised to see him draw a two? I was. You know, the way that the bracket was came up on ESPN, it showed Dayton and Iowa State. And the way that, you know, coming to Lexington, and we knew that UK would probably host because they were a top 16 team. And then I started doing the math, and I'm like, wait, that would be a two seed. And I just – I think I didn't believe it until I saw it go across the screen – you know, a couple, um, I think two or three years ago, I was able to go up to the NCAA and went through two days of, like, the intense training on how they bracket things out. You know, they bring media up to kind of show them how it works and how the sausage is made and all that stuff. And they, um, you know, I, I sort of did my own bracket using all their little rules and, and regulations. And, the, you know, UK had the numbers to be a two, but I thought that they were more likely a three because of the bad losses. They had a couple that were kind of sub-50 losses. But they turned into a two. So I was a little bit surprised, and, and I think a lot of people were very surprised. Tell us a little bit about Tennessee State, the team that they'll face in the opener. Uh, what, what can we uh, expect to see from them? They're an up-and-down kind of quick tempo. They like to run with UK, you know, kind of team. Um, it, it's a really interesting matchup for Kentucky for the first time in a long time they're playing a team that they've already played this season. I mean, they don't just look at film and say, this is what they could do. Like they look at, they're able to look at film and say, here's what we did against them. And here's how we can fix the problem. So, you know, only in conference play every once in a while, do you get to sort of be, you know, look at your game film from earlier that season and figure it out. So they're going to get a chance to, to look at their old film against Tennessee state the team that played them. I think it was 87 to 75 at Memorial Coliseum. I mean, it was a close game. It was a really high scoring game. I remember it was a really fun game. Kentucky fell behind by like eight points early, you know, and, and sort of marched back into it. And, you know, they have really, really good guard play, but they struggle inside. I, you know, freshman Alexis Jennings had 20, a career high in that game. She had 27 points in that game. But, you know, Kentucky also was without Jennifer O'Neill, who's their leading scorer. She had a knee injury in practice the day before. She just kind of tweaked it, so they decided to hold her out. And, you know, it'll be sort of interesting to see how she changes that because she's a really dynamic defender and, you know, scorer for them. We're talking with Jen Smith, the Lexington Herald leader, looking at the U.K. Hoops number two seed as they face Tennessee State at Memorial Coliseum. I got a call um, yesterday. I was at work, actually, and missed it. It went to voicemail. And it was Matthew Mitchell calling, talking about, you know, bring your family out to Memorial. We're hosting. Um, <laughs> left a nice message. You know, hey, Vinny, hope, you know, if you can come, bring your family to the game. Does he do that every year? And if so, that's definitely cool. 
and is Gino and Tara Vanderveer and and Andy Landers and those people are other coaches doing that, or is it just kind of a Coach Mitchell thing? I my guess is it's kind of a Coach Mitchell thing. Um, UK sort of lately has really been stressing a personal touch with ticket holders. I mean, they're asking season ticket holders especially to pay a lot, a large sum of money and things like football. And, you know, they'll get a call from time to time from a player or a coach or something to that effect. And, um, you know, they're trying to fill Memorial Coliseum. They've got a lot of competition because the boys sweet 16 is in town and that is a big draw at Rupp Arena. I mean, people from all over the yeah. state come and it's, it's super exciting yeah. and it's it's great basketball. I mean, if you ever get a chance to go, you should go. But they're running directly up against that, which is sort of interesting. But you know, I think they're also just they get a huge draw of people, mostly families, because young kids can go and pay under five bucks or get in for free usually, and they can't do that with the NCAA tournament. So I think that they're really trying to push people who might be sort of on this, you know, the the side or on the edge, deciding whether or not to to spend that money that they want them to come. You know, I think that. They're doing everything they can to kind of push that ticket. And I was I was well, being I, half sarcastic. If if Andy Landers and Tara Vanderveer and Gino did call, you know, fans personally, they still wouldn't do it as good as Coach Mitchell. And I'm I doubt <laughs> they're even doing it anyway. So, you know, there's that. No, probably not. <laughs> well, they're, I think, you they're know, doing it in Louisville. Yeah. Uh they're oh, doing Coach it in Louisville. Jeff Walls bought a beer for like the first thousand fans. One, it's, it's some promotion a couple of years ago. So you know, yeah. well, my my wife took our uh, girls, the Girl Scout troop, uh, to the U of L women's game against Pittsburgh. I think it was, but mm-hmm. because they were a group, they had to sign up and everything like that. Sign up with U of L athletics. So I come home from work and I hit the answer machine and it's, hey, this is Coach Walls. Go Cards. That I said, what the. <laughs> What is this? <laughs> I said to my wife, I said, you can't do this. I said, I'm a, I'm a Kentucky guy. I can't have Coach Walls call the house here. So, so they do it in Louisville. Okay. That's funny. Cool. And, you know, now, either, you can sort of see through, through that and through, like, you know, Matthew making calls and doing the stuff he does at Big Blue Madness. You can sort of see why those coaches are so popular in their communities. And you can also sort of see why they're getting some of the top talent in the country. I mean, they're not getting the UConn-level talent yet, but but it is sort of interesting that they're drawing these big-name kids to, to schools like Louisville and Kentucky. And, and I think their personalities sort of come out, and you sort of understand why they're getting those those people. Absolutely. And, I mean, Coach Mitchell just oozes personality. and He's got enough for a lot of the drier type <laughs> coaches. You know, he's got plenty of personality to go around. When you look at the uh, SEC, GN, as a whole, um, I mean, we we know how strong the football is. We know the SEC West, you know, how loaded that was year in, year out with all of them knocking heads and beating each other up. As far as SEC women's hoops, you kind of got the same thing. You had six teams that won ten games in the conference. Now LSU's record overall—I mean, they weren't that great overall, seventeen and thirteen—but they went ten and six in the conference. The other five teams, you know, A and M, Kentucky, Mississippi State, Tennessee, and South Carolina—you know, strong overall records to go with you know solid, very good conference records. Is it? Does it look like it's going to kind of stay that way? You know, the SEC, it used to just be all about, you know, the Lady Vols. Now you got all these other programs, and the league is really tough. Do you see it continuing to be that way? Do you see it even getting better with all of these, these programs kind of 
you know, Tennessee isn't what they used to be, right. and everybody's just trying to, to grab that top spot now. You know, I, I think, you know, LSU actually would have been a lot better. I think their overall record would have been a lot better, but their leading, their leading scorer and the first-team All-SEC kid, Danielle Ballard, sat out the first semester with some kind of trouble off the off the court trouble. So, I mean, I think they could have been a, you know, a top four contender if they had been, you know, if they'd been full speed all season. But back to your original question, you know, I think that the parity, I mean, everybody sort of talks about Tennessee back in the heyday and, and, and there's a lot more talent sort of spread out around the country. It used to be that the best players in the country, you know, there would be a handful every year and they would want to go to a place like Tennessee or a Louisiana tech or, you know, eventually UConn and Stanford, Texas, a couple, I mean, there, there were a couple of schools where they all sort of migrated to and they all wanted to play together, but you know, the AU circuit for, for girls basketball is almost as heavy and concentrated now as, as it is for boys. So uh, there's there's a lot of high-level talent that's playing kind of all over the country, and they're all sort of playing together. And, they you know, like the men do, they sort of sign with, you know, teams together. And, and it's sort of interesting. I don't know that there will ever be a dominant Tennessee again. I think there will, you know, UConn is sort of the exception to the rule. But I, I think that every team is sort of balanced. And, you know, if the coaches are, are, are recruiting correctly – you know, I think the SEC could be loaded with six or seven getting into the tournament every year. And, you know, it's sort of interesting to watch them beat each other up, too. And Kentucky's strength of schedule was super high this year, which is, I think, why they ended up ultimately with that two seed. And a lot of it had to do with how how strong the SEC is. I mean, they played some really good non-conference teams like Baylor, and they beat Louisville and Baylor and, you know, some other teams that, that turned into really good teams. But, you know, I think – playing South Carolina twice, playing Tennessee twice. I mean, while it made their SEC record maybe not look as good as they wanted it to, it sort of prepared them for, for what they're walking into. And it, it also showed you just kind of the strength of the conference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, two teams, 15-1, and one, you know, with South Carolina and Tennessee. And then, you know, with Mississippi State, we saw the two battles that Kentucky had with them, you know, one in the regular season, mm-hmm. one there in the tournament too. So, yeah, it just looks like it's, it's going to be that way. Like you said, the days of just one team dominating, you know, outside of Connecticut, everybody's still kind of shooting for them, but the parity is, is growing nationwide. Um, and looks, I mean, it's only going to continue to increase. And you, and you mentioned Baylor too. They, they stepped in and won a championship. Notre Dame is good too. Add them in the mix and then what the SEC is doing. Uh, it's all just making everybody better. Yeah, and and I think that coaches are able to sell the don't play for Connecticut, build a you know you could be the the foundation for our program to get to a championship level or to a Final Four. And I think a lot of kind of you know girls sort of sees that and they they want to make something better. I mean, Lene Harper is probably the highest that she is the highest rated kid that Matthew Mitchell's ever brought here, and she said over and over again that her dream was sort of to be the, you know, help lay the foundation for a championship program like UConn because you could go to a UConn or you could help another school become that if you're, you know, if you're a good enough player. So I, I think that it's a, it's a fun draw. It's an interesting draw for a lot of these, these younger girls. And, and I think you're going to keep seeing the parody as long as coaches can kind of keep selling that dream. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, Going back to the the uh, heart to heart that the seniors had with Coach Mitchell, 
when you were covering and, and, of course, watching with a keen eye what was going on, did you kind of see the need for eh, something's going to have to be done? Did you kind of see or anticipate that before it took place? Uh, and then we, we've kind of seen the turnaround since then. But. You know, it's funny because I sort of wondered this in the off season. The In the past, they've always had one senior who was sort of a, a vocal kind of in your face, or at least, you know, like in Adia Mathis's case, just a really good player that people wanted to follow her example. You know, they wanted to be like her, so they would do what she said. You know, I, I think that this senior class is really interesting because it's got a bunch of really good kids. I mean, you know, Jen O'Neill is a great player, but she's super quiet. She's very shy off the court. She's not aggressive. She's from New York City, but she's, you know, not a typical New Yorker as you would think of them. And, you know, Bria Goss is maybe the nicest girl you've ever met in your entire life. I mean, I think every dad would want his son to date Bria Goss. She's just a good girl who's really sweet and, you know. And Asia Bishop is really quiet. And Jalea Sidney was only there for a couple of years because she was a JUCO kid. And she's also super quiet. So I sort of wondered in the off season if they would run into some issues with nobody really seizing the team and sort of taking it over in a vocal way. And when you're dealing with so many young players that you have to put into big roles, like, you know, the, the, the freshman post players, Rice and Jennings, I mean, they're going to be really good players, but they have a lot of work to do, especially on the defensive end. So I think that you could almost see it coming, that there was going to be an issue. And, you know, you know Matthew even said he sort of takes for granted every year that, that they've built this tradition and this, you know, that this sort of passed on from, from program, you know, seniors to seniors to seniors. And then he, he stopped kind of working on that. He stopped kind of building, you know, not team cohesiveness, but, you know, he sort of expected the seniors to be able to do that. But with so many of those freshmen coming in, they just they didn't understand what you had to do to play for Kentucky. And they weren't really listening to the seniors because the seniors aren't a super vocal group. So I think that maybe he read the situation wrong and eventually sort of when those seniors came to him and said, we don't want to be the reason that Kentucky falls out of the top 10 for the next five years. We want you to fix this. And you're the only voice that they're going to listen to. They're, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to do anything unless they lose playing time. They're not going to do anything unless you're in their face. You know, I, I think that the seniors did what they did best. They led the team by example and they, they told the coach what they needed. And, you know, not a lot of seniors would do that, I don't think. I mean, especially when they were that close to graduation, I think that was sort of a cool move on their part because they could have just said, you know, screw it. We lost three games in a row. This, the season's tanking. I'm getting ready to go to grad school. I'm getting ready to get a job. I'm going to go try to play pro. You know, they could have just focused inward. But instead they were like, you know, they were worried about the legacy. And, and you know, I think that's sort of, interesting and cool and fun in a way. And, and I think it really meant something to Matthew because he, you know, he did become a much more aggressive coach, especially from then on out. It, it was cool of him to take it to heart too. You know, when they approached him, I thought, you know, and, and kind of, I don't know if challenged him is the right word, but it was cool of them and for him to kind of give that listening ear and then implement a lot of the suggestions they were bringing to him uh, as far as the future, you know, we Michaela Epps, we know her pedigree, we know her background, being the daughter of Anthony Epps. Do you see her, well, we we know what she can do on the court. How did, What kind of leader do you see her being? Will she be a vocal one or just kind of lead by example? Yeah. Or I think that, I think by this time next year, 
this team will be Michaela Epps' team, and everybody will be very clear about that. She was very good at leading that way in high school. You know, mm-hmm. Marion County was undefeated for a reason. I mean, she, she was always a very vocal, aggressive leader. And she's just now starting to, like, pick players up off the floor, call them into huddles. I mean, she's sort of taking on that vocal leadership role. And I think once she gets some off-the-court stuff taken care of, like not being, you know, knuckleheaded stuff, like getting to class on time and, you know, just not focusing for 90 minutes of practice instead of 80 minutes of practice, you know, silly stuff like that. I, I think that she's going to be one of she's going to go down as maybe one of the better players and better leaders in Kentucky history. It's all it's all in the cards, most most definitely. Um, like you said, just she's kind of growing into it, and it's definitely a transition and a adjustment. But she's well on her way, from what you can mm-hmm. see, right? Definitely, yeah. I, I think that she's going to. People are going to be talking about her as. You know, Anthony Epps is being her dad more than they're going to talk about her being his, her, you know, his daughter down the road. I think that she's going to be one of those players that really leaves a lasting impression on on UK fans for, you know, the next decade or two. How, well, that's a, that's how a, far that's do you how far do you see how far do you see this team going with the two seed? How far do you see the Cats going in the tournament? I um, I think it's going to be really fun. I think you're going to see them get to the Albany Regional, and they have a pretty good chance at a matchup with Louisville. And the Kentucky Kentucky women and the Louisville women have never met in the NCAA tournament. You know, the men seem to meet every year these days. The Final Four. The, you know, the, it's it's been sort of interesting how often they've been meeting the last couple of years, and the women have never met. And so I think there's a really legitimate chance that they'll meet as a two and three seed with a shot to go to, to, you know, to meet up with UConn with a chance to go to the final four. Um, You know, Louisville's lost four in a row to Kentucky, and I'm not sure Jeff Walls will stomach losing five in a row. So I think that'll be a heck of a game if it it comes out the way it should. And then I think that game is going to get, you know, all the – the high that comes from winning that game, I think, is going to wear off as soon as they hit the first half against UConn. So, you know, I think that whoever wins that game, it'll be fun for the fans for a few minutes. And then, you know, UConn is UConn, and I think UConn is going to win the championship game by 20-plus points because they're just that good. <laughs> that was the next question. Was it is it UConn's <laughs> title to lose? And you, you covered that right there until the last couple of minutes. <laughs> That was sort of the thing when they got the two seed the other night. It was almost like somebody handed them this this present, this surprise they weren't expecting. And then when they opened the box, it, like, punched them in the nose. I mean, it was like, you know, this this awesome present turned into this awful thing. So it was sort of fascinating to watch the looks on their faces as that sort of sped in that, you know, they were in UConn's bracket again. And, yeah, I mean, I think if anybody beats UConn, it's, it's what did Isaiah, what did what they say, or who was it? Reggie Miller said it's going to take an act of God to beat Kentucky men. I think that that it probably will take the same to beat UConn women this year. Yeah. Hey, one more thing, too, I meant to ask about. The, the Princeton women are undefeated as well. They're playing in the 8-9 game. I mean, their strength of schedule was not good. They didn't play a lot of good no. teams. But how far do they go before this, you know, ride ends for them? I have them losing in the first round to Green Bay. Oh. I mean, I think that they had a really special, fun, cool season. 
but they're an Ivy League team. And Green Bay almost knocked Kentucky out of the tournament a couple of years ago in Iowa when they were there. They took them to overtime in a late-night game that almost killed the sports writer. But it was just forever <laughs> for that game to end on deadline. And it, we were in central time, so it was just never-ending. But, um, yeah, I, I think Green Bay is a really strong, aggressive – they're one of those crazy pressing teams like – you know, try to take your shorts off while you're dribbling the ball kind of team. And I'm not sure Princeton has hit one of those yet this season or in the last couple of seasons. And I think it's, you know, I'm not sure they can wear go through the shock of that and sort of absorb it and still win. I think they're a really good team. And I think that, you know, I just, I don't think that they can beat Green Bay. And I definitely don't think they'll get out of the second round if they actually do beat them. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a cute story for, for a couple of weeks. And now it's over. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, I knew you would bring the realism with the answer, and even the casual women's fans, you know, we even saw the promos with the Pursuit of Perfection, you know, with Kentucky and Princeton and South Carolina, and then, of course, <laughs> South Carolina lost at Connecticut, but, you know, you still knew that Princeton was undefeated. That's about all I knew. I didn't know about the makeup of the team or strength of schedule, but... You know, it was fun while it lasted, and you know, an eight seed for them is telling after going undefeated. Yeah. So that's that pretty much all you need to know, I guess. I think that the Kentucky men, let's put it this way, I think the Kentucky men will be undefeated a lot longer than the Princeton women will be undefeated. <laughs> <laughs> well, we sure appreciate you stopping by and, and just getting us up to speed on everything UK hoops, uh, going back to the end of the regular season with the meeting with Coach Mitchell and your thoughts and outlook on what they'll do in the tournament uh, next year, Michaela Epps maturing into a leader. Appreciate all the knowledge, Jen. Thanks for taking the time to come on our little show. Sure, and for talk again for after calling. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk some football with you. And thanks for calling, too, because, you know, I'm always messing up with some kind of technical difficulties. And if I had called you, <laughs> I'd have had yourself on tied up all night. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Thank have a good you night. so much. Sure. Thank you. That is Jen Smith, a Lexington Herald leader, dropping mad UK hoops knowledge. You can follow her at Jen Herald Leader uh, on Twitter, and we thank her for taking the time out of her evening to join us as UK women are getting set to start tournament play as well. Before we end things here, TB man, I got to ask you: uh, Did you watch the Leighton documentary? Sunday. Uh, no, it's on the DVR uh, for me to review. I did not watch it. Okay, well, I won't spoil it or nothing. We can hit that next week after you watch <laughs> it. We can we can talk about all of that then. I go. We'll just hold on to that for a future show. Stay tuned, listeners. We're going to tease the late in the documentary for a future show. That way, when TV and I have both seen it, then we'll share thoughts on that and get your thoughts as well if y'all want to call in or tweet and talk about it. Um, Kentucky Hampton tomorrow, one versus sixteen. What will be the final margin of victory once you know Kentucky lets off the gas and and all of that? How how much damage will be done? Considering Hampton lost their uh, leading score, I think in the conference tournament, and their second leading score, I would think uh, won't be a hundred percent for the game tomorrow, it could get ugly early. 
but I don't think Cal embarrasses them. I, I think it's a 30-point game, and then we go on to uh, uh, pursue number nine. Yes, I'll I'll say 41 um, because you know they even did that to like UCLA. So I'll say 41. Uh, lots of minutes for you know hopefully Florial and Willis and all the guys into the bench early. Like I said, don't embarrass them. Coach Joyner is on the phone calling Jesus. Uh, and and as everybody pointed out on all the shows today, he had the phone facing backwards when he was trying to make the call <laughs> in his press conference. But you know, it, you you kind of like his attitude going into it. Hey, we know they're great. We're gonna go and compete. Um, like you said, this is just kind of the nature of the one versus sixteen. Uh, and come midnight, well, yeah, midnight Thursday, early Friday morning, we'll see what the final result will be. Another. Exactly, exactly. So, so who's, Another, who's your final? Who you got? Um, I had, of course, Kentucky, and I had I had them. I had them facing Wisconsin, and then I had Villanova, and I had Iowa State coming out of the South. Iowa State's the trendy pick after they uh, took care of uh, Kansas. Uh, I'm actually going to do my bracket a little bit later on, but uh, to be honest with you, it just doesn't matter. It, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, it, this, like Connecticut, this is our tournament to lose, so it, it doesn't matter unless they sneak in the Thunder, the Pelicans, the Suns, or some somebody like that. I'm I'm honestly not worried about the teams uh, that we have to face. These guys are focused and ready. Uh, you know, I'm not worried about Wisconsin like some folks are because uh, the game plan against Kaminsky last year's Final Four was quite good, so I'm not worried about that. But uh, I'm, I'm going to do my Final Four a little bit later on and then tweet that, uh, tweet that stuff out. Sounds good. Um, appreciate your – uh, making it a remote for us from the Yum Center at the start of the show, as you were able to enjoy the shoot around and catch the vibe of the team um, in that lower bowl of the Yum Center. That was awesome. And of course, we'll all be staying up late to watch tomorrow and then tuning in when they announce the time for Saturday. I want to thank Jen Smith once again for hopping on and giving us a follow on the show and then giving us a call talk UK hoops. Um, appreciate all your insight again from the Young Center personally. And we look forward to another fun show next Wednesday. Hope everybody has a good night. Appreciate everybody listening this evening. Uh, thanks again, everybody. This is Cast Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network on blogtalkradio.com. Thanks for giving us your time. We enjoy having a fun time. Uh, giving us, giving y'all our two cents and thoughts on everything UK and sports as a whole. Talk to y'all next week. <laughs>